Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 24 is where we will spend our time together uh, this morning as we continue our series uh, entitled uh, Church on the Move. And uh, we have been working our way through uh, the book of Acts steadily, and uh, we have now come to chapter 24. And uh, surprisingly, um, after today, we have four more weeks to be in the book of Acts, if you can believe it. We have been on a steady journey as we've been able to see the Lord uh, do some incredible things, uh, learning our history, learning where we've come from, how we began, the key ways in which God has worked and moved. And so today uh, we will continue uh, on that journey. And uh, as we think about uh, what's before us today in Acts chapter 24, it's a great reminder to us of God's power, his strength and his control. Uh, if you have not been able to join us on this journey uh, we are in the last section of the book, and uh, the Apostle Paul, God's human instrument, uh, is now in Roman custody, and uh, the Lord is seeking uh, to get him to Rome. And uh, so right now, Dr. Luke, the human instrument that God is using to get us the book of Acts, uh, he is showing us uh, how God's faithfulness is reigning supreme in Paul's life uh, as he gets him to Rome. Now, last week, we looked at something very important when we think about God's sovereignty, power, and control. And uh, that's the reality that he is in control, that no matter what the circumstance looks like, our Lord is in control. And we talked about that in three specific ways, that during times of trial or difficulty, uh, that uh, the Lord, he still communicates to us. And if you remember, we talked about the tests that we face that each and every test that we face uh, is an open book test, and uh, we have God's word, and he has communicated uh, to us. Uh, also, the fact that he protects us in the midst of our struggles. And then lastly, that he also gives us direction. Uh, we pulled that from the text because if you remember the Apostle Paul being in custody, uh, there was a plot to kill him uh, that had been made, and his nephew overheard uh, the plot, and he came, and he shared that with Paul, and uh, Paul then communicated with the soldiers uh, where he was being kept. And then they sent him out with 470 soldiers and they moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And uh, we saw how the hand of God was at work uh, through all of his, his dealings in the last chapter. Now, today we're going to be dealing with uh, a trial. Uh, what's before us in the text historically is we're going to get a chance to hear uh, a, a Roman trial where the accusers of the Apostle Paul are going to be present, as well as the Apostle Paul is going to be able to give a defense uh, before Felix. Now, in this defense, I believe there are many things that uh, we can learn. Uh, but the first and foremost that I want us to learn, it's actually the title of the message, is that a lie has speed, but the truth has endurance. A lie has speed, but the truth has endurance. What we're going to see is that the Apostle Paul is going to be dealing uh, with this situation over a period of two years. 
And what is fascinating to me is that no matter how many times he has to tell what happened or who he is or what he's done, he can tell the exact same thing over and over and over again because the same truth works every time. Now, the thing about a lie is that it might initially get you out of something, but you have to keep lying to cover up the lie that you initially told. And so when we think about the dynamics of this, we're going to see that, that in many cases in our world around us, there are a whole lot of lies that are being perpetrated in our own lives, maybe even in our own thinking. Uh, but we have to begin to capture and grasp God's truth, the truth of what has, has happened, the truth of who he is, the truth of what he has revealed, and allow that to be the enduring thing that keeps us as we go through this world. You know, when I think about the world we live in, uh, as uh, Joe said, you know, this morning, you know, love to fish. And uh, as we were standing in that river this week, I had a lot of time to think about life. And I was thinking about, you know, the fact that God has given us some great things, but there are things that decay. For example, anybody ever has some leftovers you were waiting on and you came home to find out that it was a little mold, it had a little mold in it? You probably still ate it if you're going to bed or no. Just, just cut that little piece off right there, you know. I'm not the only one I see. That sometimes the good things that we have in this life, uh, they get molded, especially when it comes to the area of, of, of food. Or even maybe for you, you're a car individual, you love things, you love being outside. And I thought about the idea of rust that, you know, over time when you leave certain things out unprotected, it'll rust. And so what was once a nice, vibrant vehicle now is a rust bucket and it's barely being able to hold together. And I think about this reality because of the fall that God made this good world beautiful. But then because of the decision of Adam and Eve now infused in this good world is sin and difficulty. And I would venture to say to you that probably one of the most decaying factors in this world is lies or is following lies. And we're going to see very clearly in the accuser's testimony that he's going to lie on the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see how the Apostle Paul hones into the truth of God to be able to overcome these lies and these challenges. And I believe that in our day, we have to be willing to do the same. And we have to be willing to do it courageously and unapologetically. So as we think about what's before us, let me just give you the main points and then we will unpack the text together. The first thing we're going to see is that we have to remember that uh, our accusers will spread lies, that they're going to be individuals who uh, don't like us because we love Jesus. They don't like us because we're connected to the church. Um, but that's OK. The Lord already told us uh, that it was going to be this way. And we're going to have, I believe, a very clear opportunity to, be able to see how we handle those types of situations. Secondly, we're going to see that I believe our response to this is we have to commit to uh, faithfully share the truth, that we have to be willing uh, to tell the truth. And then lastly, we should be prepared for procrastination and delay. We got anybody that suffers from an illness, procrastination in here? Anybody suffer? I see them hands. A lot of college students up in here. I know how y'all roll. I once was one. Yeah. Some of us suffer from that illness, procrastination. We're going to see uh, just the, the deadly nature in which procrastination and delay, what it can, can, can cause uh, as we look uh, through this text. I hope you've had an opportunity to find Acts chapter 24. Uh, we're going to read the whole thing, but we'll take it in sections. So our first section will be uh, verses 1 through 9. Acts chapter 24, verse 1. After five days, the 
high priest Ananias, he came down with some elders with an attorney named Tertullus. And they brought charges to the governor against Paul. After Paul uh, had been summoned, Tertullus, he began to accuse him, saying to the governor, since we have uh, through your through you attain much peace and since by your providential reforms are being carried out for this nation. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple and then we arrested him. We wanted to judge him according to our own law, but Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. By examining him yourself concerning all of these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems unfair. He's outnumbered, the Apostle Paul. But just so I don't forget it, uh, if it's you and God, you are the majority. And so in this setting, uh, we have a, tra a traditional setting in which we see uh, the opportunity for the accuser to come. And so the Bible tells us that Paul had made it to Caesarea. And then after five days, a delegation came up from Jerusalem that consisted of the, the high priest, if you remember, the high priest who had Paul, who had Paul struck. It also says some of the elders, so a, a number of the uh, leading religious leaders of the day that would make up what we call the Sanhedrin. Some of those individuals would have come and been a part of this. But then they hired, and everybody notices, they hired a professional speaker. Uh, the, 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 the text says that, uh, you know, he, he comes, it, it uses the word attorney. Uh, think about this is someone who is astute in uh, not only Jewish law, but also Roman law. And uh, he would have been a very eloquent speaker. He would have known how to not only uh, work the system, which we're going to see here in just a minute, uh, but he would have been able to utilize the different parts of speech for persuasion, to pull on your emotions, to be able to pull on logic and to be able to pull on ethic. And so they hired an individual who told us to come and to be able to represent them. Now, let me just tell you, the, the first piece that we have to understand about our accusers is uh, whenever they lie about you, you shouldn't be surprised because that's what they are. They're liars. And so we see this with the way in which to tell us the way in which he handles even his greeting to Felix. So now let me just give you a little history about Felix. Felix was once a slave and he moved up to be in the governorship. And uh, he led that way. He led with a chip on his shoulders. He led from a very violent standpoint. He led from a very difficult posture and position. And so everything that he's saying about Felix to his face is not true. If you notice when he comes out of the gate, he talks to him and he says uh, a couple of things. Uh, number one in verse two, he says, you know, 
through you we have attained much peace. Did everybody see that? Y'all know what that is? That's a lie. Okay, that's, that's already out of the gate swinging. He's, he's not telling the truth. The reason why is because there were a whole lot of riots and things that were going on. The way in which we know there was not a whole lot of peace. Do y'all remember Paul had to have 470 some soldiers to just to even be able to give him a Caesarea? I don't know about you, but that don't seem too peaceful type of place to be. And so he's, he, he is, he's lying here. Also, not only do we see in this position where he lies about the, the peace of the place, but then he talks about the reforms that he's made, that you made these reforms and you've carried out for the nation like they've done something good. Well, actually, when you look up history, you're going to find out that he actually robbed the people, took their money. He appointed rotten people into positions of power and uh, it created a lot of pressure uh, in, in the region. And so he already is lying. But you know what he's doing? He's trying to win over the judge uh, from the very beginning with flattery. So let me just tell you, when we go about our business, I ain't even got to urge you say, but I think I got to hit it now. In Proverbs 26, 28, it tells us about this, what we, what we need to do, how we need to avoid this. Proverbs 26, 28 says this. Y'all ready for it? it? Says this, a lying tongue hates those. It what? Crushes. Y'all see that? And what about a flattering mouth? Works ruin. So when we think about the dynamics, what's happening here is that he is winning over. He's trying to win over the, the, the judge Felix here, the governor, the one who would make the decision. And we see very clearly that it's going to be something that's very destructive. Now, after he tries to butter up the judge, then he begins to go on the attack. Did y'all see what he said about our brother Paul? Did y'all say he was talking crazy, wasn't he? We're going to see three attacks, and I just want to go ahead and give those to you. Are you going to see a personal attack, political attack, and spiritual attack? Now, let me just say to you, uh, every believer in this room, you love Jesus. Uh, at some level and at some point, you will experience uh, these. Now, I don't know that we will all experience them to the same degree, uh, to the same uh, pressure, or even to the same amount of physical pain or anguish or emotional stress. But uh, at some level, you will experience personal attack, political attack and spiritual attack. We're going to see here uh, just how he does this. Now, one of the things that stands out to me is that when he goes on the attack, he does not waste time. Look with me in verse five. He says this for we have found this man to be a real pest. Everybody said he's talking bad about our guy. A real plague. Some, somebody that is not worthy of even being willing to, to entertain what they have to say, a real, a real pest. And then he goes on to extend this. He says he stirs up dissension among the Jews throughout the world. And he is and, and he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And so he takes another shot by this little Nazarene comment right here. He takes another shot. So let, let me just say to you that many times what people will seek to do is they will seek to take a, a, a kernel of truth and then wrap a whole lot of mess around it. You know, that's how the enemy works. That, that's how the enemy works. So when you think about the dynamics of this, I, I look at this and I think, well, when we look at Paul's life, it is true that uh, when he went into the areas where there were Jews and Gentiles and he preached, things got stirred up from time to time. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Y'all been with me through the book. Have we seen any stirring up happen? 
Yeah, we saw a whole, you remember whenever he was in Ephesus and the folks got mad in Ephesus and they were yelling and hollering and dust throwing up and everything. Y'all remember that? How about that? That's the only place? No. When he went on the very first journey, they threw rocks and stoned him and got mad. So, so it, it's a common thing, yeah, that, you know, when he was traveling and sharing the gospel that he did cause trouble, but he wasn't a pest. You know, he was trying to help the people come to understand who Jesus is. What I want to say to you, just by way of application, is, you know, sometimes what will happen is, is people will take something that is true about us and then they will begin to feel around all of that other things that are not true to cause destruction. You know, when I think about this, I think about the fact that we have to recognize that our character, our name, who we are, our businesses, our church, our family, you know, these are all, all open for the enemy's attack. And if you have not understood that, hopefully after today you will, that, that the enemy that we fight, he, he does not fight fair. As a matter of fact, my dad, growing up, he told me, son, there ain't no such thing as a fair fight. There ain't no such thing. So don't even, in your mind, don't even think that there's a, a fair fight. They either bigger or they might have a stick or a bat or a knife. Or go, don't, just whatever you got to do, you know, you got to do it. But there ain't no such thing as a fair fight. And so as we go through these challenging days that we find ourselves, just remember that the personal attack on your character, on your name, who, who you are, you, you should believe and expect at some point that will come, especially as you seek to stay faithful to the Lord. And that's all that the Apostle Paul was doing. He, he stayed true to the calling that Christ had put on his life. And so now he's standing before this governor who Jesus already told him he would. And now he's being attacked for helping his people to see the truth of who God is and seeing them set free. The attacks can come even whenever you are seeking to do good. You should expect that. We see the personal attack, but we also see uh, the political attack. Now, this second attack is, I believe, is much more sinister than the first. You, you know, he just kind of was being petty. He took a jab at him. But this next attack is where he is seeking to try to cause problems between Paul and Rome. So that way he can ultimately get his way to destroy his life. You see, that's a common practice even in our world where people don't really like the church. They don't really like Christians and they understand that they can't really lash out at them because they don't like them. And so they try to pin them down by some political issue to be able to now control them or take the money or their property or those types of things. And so that next attack, notice where it comes from. He, in verse six, it says this. And he even tried to desecrate the temple. And then we arrested him. Y'all see that? So the reason why this would cause issue between Paul and Rome is because when somebody's trying to desecrate the, the temple, the Jews had they already had permission from Rome. They were a sanctioned legal religion in the Roman Empire. And so because that was the case, they had been given permission to, to be able to exercise capital punishment on anybody who violated a particular thing, in this case, to desecrate the temple. So they had the ability to kill anyone who would do this. And so what he's trying to do here is say, listen, he created a riot. Rome is all about peace. We got to keep the peace at, at all costs. And so whenever he goes in to do this, as he's being accused, this would have made the peace of Rome be suspect. And so thus now the ruler would have to give an answer back to back to Rome. And so he's trying to pin him down politically. Now, when you when you think about this, 
our enemies will be at odds with us based off of decisions that we make. But many times they try to come through the back door to be able to get us on other things, not necessarily the initial issue that was the problem. And so we see this. He, he, he brings it up. Notice he says, as we wanted to judge him according to our laws, then he makes an excuse. He calls out our boy called his license, who was just doing his job. He said, but he came, he took him away from us by force. And now we have him to stand in front of you. And so can I just tell you, when we think about our role here as believers, I, I never thought I'd live to see today when so many things could be made political. Vaccines, political. Mask, political. Bathrooms. But anybody thought today a bathroom? Right. Our, our stance, you know, so we have to understand that many times because we carry a particular worldview that comes from God, from his word, that we are living in hostile territory. And ultimately, it's not going to be because we are preaching and telling people about Jesus. I believe that's the main reason. But the reason that will create the pressure and the issue will be some of these other things that cause us to be at odds, at strife with the governing authorities or even our own brothers and sisters in the community. And we have to be ready for this. We have to be ready for this. Now, not only do we see a personal attack, not only do we see a political attack, but also don't forget this thing was, it was spiritual. It was spiritual. When he brings up the temple and he, and he is being attacked in verses 8 and 9 as they are examining him and these Jews are examining him, it ultimately is a spiritual attack. Here in just a, a moment, we're going to see how Paul answers. But whenever he calls them the sect of the Nazarenes, everybody see that construction, the sect of the Nazarenes? What he is, what he is trying to convey here is that Jesus and Christianity is not a sanctioned religion under Roman authority. So thus, that makes, them, uh, that makes them rogue. They have another king. They have another kingdom. They are, they are hostile. And so when he says this, he says they are the set, a sect of the Nazarene. If y'all remember the, the statement, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's, a, that's kind of a backhanded way of saying that little sorry hick town up there, that terrible over there. Ain't nothing good coming out of there. And so what he does is, is not only does he, does he degrade Christ and Christianity and his followers, but then he also is seeking to set a, another wedge spiritually by showing that Christianity is not a sanctioned belief system in the empire. Now, the apostle Paul, he's he going to handle this thing, really the Lord through Paul, he's going to handle this thing. But I just want us to see this, that ultimately I believe that the, the, the basis of the attacks will always be spiritual. That's the foundational ground level work. Now that we have unpacked that, let me just practically talk about some things in our day. Ultimately, I believe we will have to be on the lookout for counterfeit Christianity. Not, not just counterfeit. Can I just go ahead and say it? I got a, a list of about seven things. I just put them right here. Now, when we think about the lies that will be spread, I just believe that they're going to happen in these areas. Y'all ready for it? The first, you, you, we got to look out for counterfeit Christians, people who say they're part of the faith, part, part of the family. But guess what? They are not. It was true in Paul's day. How we know this? Well, in Corinthians, he says false brethren. So we're going to have a false brethren in his day. Guess what we're going to have in our day? False brethren. Jesus even told us, y'all remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? Y'all remember that anybody got that quiet time and that thing? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We're living in the country. So let me just take a little, little, little detour here for a second. You know how to tell the difference between wheat and tares? Anybody want to know the difference? I want y'all to do me a favor. Next time when, when you're driving out and you see the fields and they start getting mature, 
whenever it's growing up, the wheat, what you'll notice is, is this bowing low like this right here because the head, the grain is mature, it's heavy, it's bowing low. You know what the tares are doing? They're standing straight up. And so when you look out across that field, you'll see all these things standing straight up. It's hard to tell at first, but as time moves and as maturity happens, you can start telling. You see those tares, they stand up prideful, they stand up. But, but what happens is, is whenever you're loving Jesus and the longer you mature and how you mature, what you find is you become humble and you realize, man, I'm really a sinner. I ain't, I ain't all what I thought I was. And you just, but the, but the prideful, they stand up, can't tell them nothing, can't, can't, they don't want to hear anything from God. They stand up. And so it, among us, you, you will see that. The reason I'm saying this is because if we, we got to figure out where the attack is going to come. We're going to have counterfeit Christians. How many of you know there's a counterfeit gospel that's out there? Oh, yes. Many of them, by the way. You know, in Galatians, Paul said this same Paul we're talking about. He said, if anyone comes and preach to you another gospel, a different gospel, which is not a gospel, but, but listen, there are those who won't try to shake us. And it could be based off of our works or it could be, you know, maybe they ate a bad taco, had a vision. They thinking God talking to them. But, it, but there are many false ones out there. They don't reign true. And the way in which you're going to be able to pick it out is because they're going to distort grace. They're going to distort grace. Either it's going to be by works or that's going to be a type of grace that God is not talking about in his word. We got false gospel. What about false preachers? False ministers, bunch of them out there, whole heap of them. I can stay. I might. I got to go quickly, though. False Christians, false gospel, false preachers, a false sense of righteousness. You know, in our day, you're going to see where the, the idea of good is shifting, where people you know, you're looking at that like, how is that righteous? I, I just don't I don't see this. It's not based off of the scriptures. And so there's going to be a false sense of, of righteousness where the good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys. What about false churches? What about false teaching? You can go ahead and put them on the list. And can I just tell you, I believe that all these that I have listed are, are, that, that, are, that I named Ultimately, what is happening in our world is it is being groomed. It is being prepared for a false Christ. So understand the, the piece here. Like we, we are seeing how he is being attacked in all these lies. All these lies, all these things are being placed, whether, whether it's false believers, whether it's false teaching, whether it's false righteousness, whether it's false preachers, whether it's false churches, ultimately to set the stage for who we know is as the Antichrist or the false Christ, the one who is against Christ. Like that's, that is where we are headed. So it should not surprise you. Don't, 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 be, don't be shocked, you know? Don't be shocked. I know I've been hitting hard for a minute, so let me just pull us up just for one second. You know, when I think about the dynamics of this, we, we have been given the answer, though. Do me a favor, get your little quiet time in Ephesians 6. But I'm going to condense it down real quick, Ephesians 6, because some of us are not understanding that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And, and there's some key things when it comes to the armor that we have. And I'm just going, most of the time we get all excited about the pieces because we got the inner warriors. We're ready to fight somebody, but we ain't going to bust a grape. None of us, we, we ain't grew up fighting like that. But spiritually, we got to learn how to fight. And so we get all excited about the pieces of the armor, but don't, don't miss, the, don't miss it, it's not about the helmet. It's about the salvation. Everybody understand what I'm telling you? It ain't about your belt. I don't care if you're wide, got a big bulk. It ain't about the belt so much. It's about the truth. You hear what I'm telling you? It's not about the shield so much as what it, how ordinated it is. No, it's about the faith. Everybody with me so far? The righteousness, breastplate. So let me just give you these pieces. 
that the, the way we fight against the lies that are out there, y'all ready for it? Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, word, and prayer. I know I went quick. Let me back up and go a little slow. Because sometimes we get all mixed up with, 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 the, with the pieces. But ultimately what's got to hold us is A is the truth. B is righteousness, God's standard. We're going to look at that here in just a minute. Third, peace, peace. The gospel is what we stand in. That's what's holding us firm. That's why we can't move away from it. There are a whole lot of things that's being peddled around as gospel, but guess what? It's not. It, 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 that's what holds our life. Faith, that shield. That, understand, he tells us to extinguish the arrows all day, every day, shots being fired. And sometimes you look at your brother, you're like, boom, you got hit, didn't you? Wow. And sometimes you can see it. You can see it when it's happening in somebody's life where their faith is failing or it's waning or it's straining. You, you can see it. If you get around enough people in the, in the life of the church, you, you will see whenever the, the attack is happening. Salvation. You know, that's the helmet, right? And when, when he says salvation, I, I think we just only think about the future, which that's fine with me because I can't wait to get to heaven. I don't know about you all, but I can't wait. I just envision a 10 pound trout in the backyard all times. Jesus there with me. It's going to be great. No pain, no sorrow, no nothing. But the, when we think salvation, I want y'all to think about it in three ways. That Jesus, he has saved you from your past. So this is what's so important here. Y'all, y'all, we don't think about this now. I'm telling you, from your past. So when the arrows of who you used to be, you used to be covering and, and doing all the fussing and fighting and cussing and sleeping around, all of that stuff, you, you can't erase all of that. But guess what is erased? the condemnation that's attached to it. So when we think about salvation, we got to understand he took care of his past. But guess what? Right now where we stand, he is taking care of it. So meaning today, this is why I always tell everybody that when you think about today, that there are enough grace just in today to be able to take care of you. And then, then yes, the future peace that when, if I make it to tomorrow and to 85 years old, that there's still going to be enough grace to hold me in. But when we think about lives, we got to think about salvation, what God did. He didn't save us because we was all that. As a matter of fact, it was quite the contrary. And then that word, can I just tell you, we got to get acquainted with the word. We got to get used to using the sword that's offensive and defensive. We got to get used to it. And I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to have a strong push the rest of this year and into next year, 2022. We got to be people of the book, locked tight into this word. Listen, our world trying to get us to be focused on a whole lot of other things, and we on social media all the time. Look, pick up that Bible. Y'all hear what I'm trying to tell you? You, you, you don't have to, listen, Graves and Admiral, all them, I ain't worried about if you watch all that. You can watch all the little drama and all that if you want to, but that more drama that you can shake a stick at in this thing. Get you some of this right here. And it's real. You hear what I'm telling you? If you with me, if y'all with us in this Genesis reading, it's more drama than Broadway in this thing. And what I'm saying is, is what you can do, you can read about real people who made the mistakes. And you can say, you know, what? I ain't doing that. I'm not going down that. And what's crazy is our culture, it's celebrating the very things that we already see what's happening. What's this? What's this out here? Polyamorous relationship or something like that? Y'all think y'all came up with that? How let my boy Jacob? <laughs> How'd that work out for him? Hagar and them. You know what I'm saying? All I'm saying to you is it's right here in front of us. 
but we have not been willing to, to allow it to direct us to be in it. And I'm just, I, I could be, I could spend a whole sermon here, but just know we got to get in the word offensively, defensively, right? The, the last piece I said was prayer. I, I like to say this is our connection. It's one of the most important pieces where we get the opportunity to have a communication, conversation, intimacy with the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creative universe. I don't know that we understand that just yet in our prayer life. We're going to start praying like it, though, where God is working and moving. That, that's in response to the lies. Now we got to look at how, how Paul's going to handle this. And can I just tell you, our guy is going to do a great job. Y'all going to be proud. Verses 10 through 21. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, knowing that for many years uh, you have been a, a judge in this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Neither in the temple nor in the synagogues nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which uh, they now accuse me. But to this I admit to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. Having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection both of the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council. Other than for this one statement, which I, I shouted out while standing among them for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. Now, in his response he is a model of faithfully sharing the truth. We had an opportunity to look at the lawyer, told us we had a chance to see his lies. Now we're going to see how Paul handles these lies with the truth. First, let me just say to you that I believe in this generation, it's going to take the same thing that was needed in past generations, and that's courage. It's going to take courage. Now, that might look differently for some of us, but when I think about the Apostle Paul standing here, uh, the text does not record for us that there were any, uh, anybody from Jerusalem that came with him. The text doesn't record that James from Jerusalem came or any other, other brothers from Jerusalem came with him. It, it doesn't state. Dr. Luke doesn't state that for us. And so we have Paul standing before Felix the governor, with the high priest there, with these other elders and this attorney. But as I stated before, uh, God on your side, 
as the Bible says, if God be for us, come on, say it with me. Who can be against us? That don't mean there won't be somebody against you. It just means that they don't matter. <laughs> that God matters. So when we think about this, we're going to see how he responds to their personal, political and spiritual attack. And can I just tell you, I'm so impressed by the way in which he does it with courage, but also he does it with sound and loving rebuke. It's incredible. So let's just look at it. First and foremost, you see, he has a different method. He has a different method. And our methods in this day must be different. The lawyer, he was trying to butter up Felix and do all that stuff. Our, our guy, he went straight to the point. Did you notice it? He just said, listen, you, you've been here for many years. I, I love this. He's like, I, I ain't got nothing good to say to you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just state a couple of facts. You've been here for many years. I'm excited I can tell you the truth. All right, on to the next. And so that's what he does. Notice he just says, listen, I, you know, you, you've been a judge here of uh, this nation many years. I cheerfully make my defense. He don't go into all this other mess that, that, the, that the attorney did. But then he begins to set the record straight. And he talks about, first and foremost, his conduct. His conduct. And so they have made these accusations against him. So let's see how he handles them. First, he's going to unpack this. He's going to say, number one, in relation to me trying to cause uh, a dissension and riots, he said, you know, it's really hard to get a whole lot of people together in 12 days to be able to cause problems. Did you catch his logic here? He said, listen, 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem and listen, I was in the temple and in the synagogue and there was no problem. Y'all notice that he immediately answers that first problem. He says, there's no issue. He's talking about his conduct here. Then he goes on to say, I was purified. I, I made these decisions to, to bring uh, alms to my people, to be able to help them. In verse 17, he tells us about that. And then he, he sets his claim in his, in his relationship. So let me just give you, by way of note-taking, the three things that I believe we need to do when we share the truth. Number one, apart from we got to have a different method, but number one, our conduct must be true to God's biblical standard. Now, we know that not a single one of us is perfect. But if you notice, he talks about his conscience in verse 16. He says this in view. He says, I do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before who? God and men. You see that? So, so we got to deal with this. We got conduct, we got conscience, and we got the connection. So let me just deal with our conduct first. He, he starts out with his conduct. and He says, listen, when I came in, I was not trying to cause any issues. I wasn't causing riots. I wasn't causing problems. Can I just tell you how we live our life matters? I always say how many tongues we got in here? How many we got? Three. Now, if y'all knew the words, you're probably like, what's wrong with this church? We have three tongues, one in our mouth, two in our shoes. How we live matters. Okay. We don't want to unsay with our lives what we say with our lips. And so for Paul, he had been in Jerusalem, had been living this way. He said, look, you can look at my life. You can look, even if you don't even, don't even understand fully what I'm telling you, you can look at my life and know that that's not who I am. And so he talks about the conduct that it was not true. If you're taking notes, I want, to, I want you to just jot down 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at verses 15 and 16 together. It's going to come on the screen beside me. And we, we just got to catch this now to be able to do this. Y'all ready for it? Says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Everybody notice this. First and foremost, you got to set a special place. Jesus got to be sanctified, set apart. You personally set him apart. The focus of your life. All, always being ready to make a defense to how many people? 
everyone. I love how he's going to take this from talking about these accusations. and He's going to drop the gospel and sneak the gospel right in on them. Being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Y'all ready for how we do it, though? Yet with what? Gentleness and reverence. Now, just let's look at that for a minute. I know some of us, we kind of high strung. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody here got a, a short temper? Anybody just? Oh, nobody got a short temper in here. I see a few hands. Temper short as a black cat fuse. So when we look at this, when we start having these interactions, you know, the man didn't call him a pest. He didn't lie on him. I just don't know about you, but I've probably been sitting over there steaming ready. I can't wait for my turn. I can't wait. Right. But I'm just telling you that when we when we, we don't have to be mad, Jesus already took care of this. The wrath and the anger, of man, it's not going to accomplish God's will. We got to leave room for him. He can whoop him a lot better than we can. Can I say it that way? But it's not easy. But I'm just telling you the dynamics here as we go about this, the first piece in our conduct, as we refute, as we give a defense of the hope, we have to do it with gentleness and reverence. That's not going to be this gradual level Christianity I'm talking about right now. Somebody lied on you. You're in jail. They they didn't said all these things. Gentleness and probably reverence is not the way in which you want to respond or react. But let's keep reading. That's the reason why we we need to do it this way. Notice this. And keep a good conscience. We're going to hit that here in just a minute. So that in the things in which you are slandered, everybody see that? Those who revile your what? Good behavior in Christ will do what? Be put to shame. This is good. That's on the back and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that shame piece. Let's get them. Get them. Where we have to focus is not on them being put to shame, but we have to focus on gentleness, reverence, Good conscience. Everybody see that? Like that's where we focus. But also what else does it say about our behavior? Good behavior. How we live matters. So he's saying to them, listen, I came up. I was there for Pentecost. I purified myself like I was supposed to. I already had put the down payment on these brothers. We could finish this vow together. I brought alms to my people. Like, so he's just stacking up all these good things. And they have a hard time to be able to overcome this. Let me just tell you. In this church, I'm probably going to give away the secret sauce, but that's all right. I want this church to have so many good deeds, so much good work. And when people start reviling us for being serious about Jesus, that the neighborhood going to be mad at the people around us for talking crazy about us. Because of all the good things we do, how we get in lives, we help families, we walk alongside people that are struggling, we walk with babies, we're doing all those other things. So that way, we don't do it just because of that. We want to see people saved and we want lives changed. But ultimately, God uses that as a protective measure so we can continue to do what he calls us to do. Where people say, you mad at them? You mad at those people? The ones that have been loving me for all these years? After school programs for my babies? Helping me when I get in the bind? Come on now. And we, we have missed this piece many times. So we understand that our lives, our conduct, it, it, it matters. Not only conduct, but conscience. In the text that I was reading in first. Uh, Peter uh, 3, it talked about the conscience, but he talks about his conscience. He says, I want to make sure, verse 16, always a blameless conscience, uh, both before God and before men. Now, in this, in this situation, when he's talking about conscience, he's talking about that there's nothing. He is not harboring anything 
or entertaining anything that would be offensive to the individual, i.e., in this case, God and man. So far, so good. If you remember, I talked about the conscience. The conscience is the part of us that does not set the standard. It just reveals what the standard is. And I use the illustration. Warren Wiersbe talks about it being a window. I use it as a windshield. And what I'm what what we say is that you want the conscience to be cleansed. You want it to be clean. It's like when you drive your car and you drive it in the summertime and all the bugs get to hitting you and you're trying to get them all off. It makes it harder to be able to see hard to be able to know what direction you need to go. And what happens in our lives is that we are moving in life and certain things begin to stick to us. Things begin to hit us. And if we don't clean those things off, it makes it hard for us to have a, a clear vision of what God desires for our life. But can I tell you that's true with God and that's true with our relationship with each other. Sometimes something might stick to you in a relationship that's not really true. It just you feel like that. The enemy trying to cause issues. Anybody ever had a misunderstanding before? Okay, yeah. So what happens is you want to try to do your best to cleanse those things, keep those things cleaned off. So, so that way you will be able to understand and clearly articulate what is true. Conduct, conscience. But ultimately, he, they try to challenge him on his connection. In verse 14, he deals with this. He says in verse 14, but this I admit to you that according to the way, what do you notice about that W in way? It's capitalized, right? Translators made a decision. I believe it's the right decision. It's talking about Jesus here, that according to the way, Jesus is the way. It's talking a specific way of, of walking with God. It says that they call a sect. He says, I serve, I do serve the God of our Father. So what they were trying to do is they were trying to say, that Christianity was this new thing that came out of nowhere. And what he's saying is, is no, 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 no. The roots of Christianity has been found in the Old Testament and the revelation and the fulfillment of it is in the New Testament, what he is preaching and teaching. And so he is challenging them here. Can I just tell you, when it comes to our connection, we have to be rooted to the word of God, understanding our history. That Christianity is not just some fly by night, something somebody made up, but that when you look at the history of the Old Testament all the way throughout, Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, and that is how we have to see it. That's our connection. If you didn't know, let me just give a story. I've been swinging. How about a, a nice little story? Anybody got your quiet time in Numbers 21 lately? 2022, we're going to try to get the, through the book of Numbers together. It's going to be a great opportunity. But, but this week, just get your little Numbers 21. And in Numbers 21, in that first section, you're going to hear about a story where the people were being disobedient to God. That's a very familiar story in the Old Testament, right? New Testament as well. But, uh, and the Lord sent serpents, fiery serpents into the people, and they were biting the people. Y'all remember this story? Yeah. Anybody? We got, where are my snake people that didn't have? Okay, now. Nah. I remember one time we were here, you know, at the church and there was a snake in the bushes crawling up the window trying to get in. I said, well, you better get back, Jack. We, we never found that snake. He might be in here somewhere hanging with us. I got everybody's attention now. OK. So in the story, the snakes were biting the people and they were dying. And you remember the solution. Moses said, what is going on? You remember what the Lord told Moses to do? It's very odd if, if we're just going to, can we just keep it real here for a minute? Like I would have thought, you know, Lord, you know, we, we got these snakes in here biting us. Won't you just sit and fire down and burn them all up? 
Or why don't you give us some snake away? We can put it, put it down around our, you know, put it, put it down around the house and that way they'll run away. You know, th- those seem like the solutions I would come up with, we would come up with, right? But what, y'all remember the solution? Y'all remember what he told them to do? What did he tell them to do? Make one. This is what, this is crazy. What you, what you talking about? What's this make stuff? He said, make one out of what? Bronze, right? And he said, put it up on what? A pole. And then, this is really what crazy. Can y'all imagine when Moses came in and said, all right, people, this is what we got to do. They probably said, Moses, what you been doing in that tent? <laughs> what you been doing? And he said, put that snake up on the pole. And everybody that look, hear me now. Everybody that does what? Looks at the snake. What happens after you've been bit? You, you, you won't die. What happens? You will be healed. Incredible. Now, think about this for a minute. Does this sound, does this sound familiar to anybody? It should, because the way in which we are saved, y'all ready for this? This is incredible. The very thing that was biting him and killing him, the very thing he said, put it up on a pole. And when you look by faith there, bronze, bronze, that, that particular metal is a sign of judgment if you didn't know. When you look to the judgment, the very thing, that's what makes you healed. Now, somebody said, somebody in the back said, the cross, you got it. We are saved by faith looking which direction to the cross? Back at it. In the Old Testament, they were saved by looking to the cross, looking the way we are saved. We look at Jesus by faith. We are saved. But this is where it gets really good. The Bible says that he who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf. So the very thing that's killing us, sin and destruction, was put up on the cross. And so now by faith, that's where we are looking at his work to be saved, changed and transformed. So far, so good. So when we think about the dynamics, what Paul is trying to tell him is, that we just think this ain't no just fly by night, new, new, new belief. This thing been all in this book all these years. That, that should encourage us as people challenge our history and they challenge the, the way in which God has spoken and how he has moved. It's right in here. And we have to be willing to stay connected to it. We share the truth. We make sure we live it. We make sure our conscience is clear. And we make sure we conduct ourselves in, in a way that is honoring and we stay connected to the word of God. Now, in this, we see him deal with the personal. He talked about his conduct. We see him deal with the political. He said, I ain't caused no rights. And then we saw him deal with the spiritual, that they were connected. And then he, notice what he says. He says, really, what this is all about, verse 21, what this is all about is about the resurrection of the dead. That's what this is about. Now I want to close with Felix's response. And now let me just tell you, we, we, in our day, not everybody that we share with is going to uh, believe the message of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the saddest things that I could, could say, I think, as a preacher, that God has done such a great work, but not everybody's going to believe it. I think we have one right here in front of us in Felix. And so let's, let's finish up. Let's look at verses 22 through 27. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off saying, when Lysus is the commander, when he comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. 
But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speaking about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away from the, from the present. And when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send him, he used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix, as he was succeeded by Portius Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now let's talk about this last piece here. Let's talk about this last piece that when it comes to the challenges we face, now we might have to deal with some situations that don't seem quite fair. I believe that Felix knew that the apostle Paul was innocent. I believe he knew it. I believe he knew it. That's why he stalls and he delays for two years. For two, for two years, he's seeking to buy time. Now, what I want you to see in Felix's life is that he had intellectual knowledge about the way. He even had an emotional experience, but it did not lead to conversion. It did not lead to him giving his life to Christ. There are many people who have intellectually, they know, they know that you can pick up the Bible. They can tell you the history about Jesus. There's intellect. They, they know that that's what the text says. Notice what it says. Verse 22, having a more exact knowledge about the way. Everybody see that? What, what, what Dr. Luke is communicating to us is that he was no novice when it came to Christianity. He, he knew and he had an exact understanding of what was going on. And I'm going to make the case why he had it. We don't know 100 percent, but I, I believe it has to do with his wife, Drusilla. Anybody know any Drusilla's in the house? Somebody just got a new baby name. Go name your girl that. I believe it was connected to her. But did you notice he had that he had a intellectual understanding? But how many of you know it's possible to have information without intimacy? Listen, that's our world right now. I, I, I've said it many times from this from this platform right here that we, we are a people of all this information with no intimacy. You, you, you can tell your favorite celebrities, you can tell what they eating, what they wear, what their house look like. And if you rolled up to them on the street, they will call the police on you. <laughs> but, you know, all this all this information about them. But hear me now. But you don't have a relationship with them, though. We live in an age of information without intimacy. And I believe that's true about, about God, that all these people, we got all this, all, all this scientific information about how God created things. We can see it. We got all this about the body and the world and everything else, but people don't know God. These same scientists, they can look at all this complexity of DNA and all this other stuff and stuff. They want to highlight, yes, uh, it evolved. Man, you better stop that. Information without intimacy. He was, he was, Part of this. Now, you notice it says he gave orders. Now, I'm thankful that it, it, there was some freedom. I like to say Paul was on house arrest for these two years. And these centurions, they would be they would have shifts. And so he'd get a new one each each shift. But I can imagine he was preaching, preaching machine to them boy. 
But I want you to notice verse 26, and I believe, I'm sorry, 24. This is where we, I believe we, we see the information, though. Is that his wife, Drusilla, notice the text is telling us his wife was a Jewess. Everybody see that? What it's telling us is she was a Jewish lady. Now, what the text doesn't tell us, but when you look at history, is y'all want me to tell you whose family she comes out of? She part of the Herod family. Y'all know the crazy Herods? We got three of them that we're dealing with. Let me just briefly tell you who our people were. Great, great granddaddy was the Herod that had the babies killed after Jesus was born. You remember the wise men came in from the east. He said, let me go worship. I'm going to come worship and you let me know where he is. And I'm going to come down there and we're going to get our worship on together. And the Lord appeared to him in the night vision and said, don't you go back and tell that man nothing. And they went a different way. He got mad, killed all the boys two and under. Y'all remember that? That's great, great. That's great. That's great. That's great granddaddy. Y'all remember uh, John the Baptist? Anybody remember John the Baptist? Yeah. This Kim folk too. Had John the Baptist's head cut off. Y'all remember that? Old girl got to shaking. He said, whoa, I got whatever you want. Except number one in the kingdom. Mama, mama said, head of John the Baptist on the planet. Y'all remember that? This is a crazy family. But y'all me tell you who her daddy was. Y'all remember in Acts, the Herod, who he was all... Dressed and impressed, sat on the roster. He sat down. He started speaking to people like, oh, this is the voice of God. And the angel struck him and he had worms. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That daddy. That's a dad. So what I'm saying is the reason why she had a more exact way is her, her family had been dealing with Jesus and this, and this way for a long time. So she knew. She knew. So he calls Paul to come up. And my guy starts preaching. Now, Dr. Luke does not give us the details of the sermon. He just gives us three points from the sermon. Y'all want to know the three points? The three points were righteousness, self-control, and judgment. And did you notice what happened whenever he started preaching this? It says, verse 25, Felix became frightened. Everybody see that word for frightened? It means an earthquake. It means he was physically shaking, like you could see him. You could see him shaking. And then he told him, get on out of here. We'll hear you later. Did everybody see that right there? Now, the question is, why are he shaking? Well, let me just tell you why he was shaking. In Felix's life, the first thing that Paul is dealing with, the text tells us, is righteousness. This has to do with the past. This is the idea of God's holiness. God's holiness. In God's holiness, there's some bad news for us because we are not righteous. That's the bad news. As a matter of fact, when you, when you read the Bible, it, it tells you, in uh, Romans 3.23, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody know that verse? Right? So here's the problem. When he tells him about righteousness, he tells him the truth about righteousness. Now, Felix thinking, you know what? I ain't a righteous dude. Can I just give y'all a few? I'm going to just put his business out in the streets. Can I do that for a second? Drusilla was his third wife. Okay? He, he, had, he had left number two to get with number, number three. But Drusilla wasn't single whenever they got together. So two, two marriages, he on the third one, tore up her marriage, okay? Also had robbed, was stealing, was killing, all those things. So whenever he hears about this idea of righteousness, he says, you know what? I'm toast, burnt toast. The reason why he is toast, because let's just look at it together. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 31. Somebody need to hear this scripture right here, because our world think God playing. He is not playing. It is a what? Terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Everybody see that? 
This is why he was shaking in his boots. Knees was clicking because he understood that I'm not righteous. That's not me. The judgment. This is what I'm going to get. But can I tell you what makes me so sad? Is that I believe Paul, when he preached the gospel, he preached the gospel now. He's not just he's not just going to tell you the bad news that you're not righteous and that you don't have self-control and you're a sinner and you, you, you're being tempted because that's what the second piece is, that self-control piece is that, listen, not only are you a sinner, but you have willfully continued to sin. He's he not only going to say, but listen, our world don't want to hear that nowadays. I don't know about y'all, but we'll say everything. I made a mistake. I messed up. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't their fault. We don't want to hear this now. But we got to be willing to tell the truth. There's a standard. God said it. He is righteous. We are not. Not only are we sinners by nature, but we sinners by practice. We got to be willing to tell it. But guess what? That's not all there is to tell. Because I know Paul, he, he preached the full gospel because it tells us that he talked to him about judgment. And y'all know the judgment piece, that God is going to judge every sinner. Everybody know that? But the good news here, y'all ready, is that Paul was being judged, but he was trying to tell him about a better judge, a bigger judge. And what he was trying to get Felix to understand is, is, Felix, you have to be willing to settle with God outside of court. Jesus has made it such that, that, that when you look at your life, I know you didn't divorce your wife, and I know you got on your third wife, and I know you're stealing from people, but Jesus has made it in such a way that that does not have to be your life. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I can just imagine my boy Paul uh, talking about Jesus and telling about Zacchaeus. Anybody know about Zacchaeus in the house? Who know about Zacchaeus in the house? Other than Zacchaeus was uh, vertically challenged. We little man. Okay. Now, before anybody got any ideas, I'm telling Zacchaeus, I believe. Don't even start playing up in here. But the issue with Zacchaeus was that he was taking money that was not his. And y'all remember what Jesus did? Jesus didn't roll it to Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, there is no hope for you. Is that what Jesus said? Nope. He saw Zacchaeus because he was short. He had to get up in the tree so he could see what was going on. And he came right to Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today, brother. Salvation has come to this here house. And you know what Zacchaeus said? Come on up in here. Listen, I'm going to get back the money I took, too. I'm gonna, because whenever you meet Jesus, when you meet Jesus, you change. Yeah. So I could just imagine him telling Felix, I know you took a whole lot of people's money and you was acting a fool, but let me tell you about Zacchaeus. That don't got to be who you are. I could just, can I just one more? Can I just do, what, what? let me just get one more of what G, in Jesus' ministry. How, how, how many wives did he have? Three. He was on his third one. Third wife. I, I could just, I don't know. He might've brought it up, but I just, I could just see Paul telling him about the time that Jesus met this sister at the well. Y'all remember that? How many times has she been married? Five. And guess what she was doing at the time? Shacking up. Y'all hear me now? Come on in here real close. Jesus didn't tell her, oh, there ain't no hope for you. That's not what he said. That is not what he said, right? He told the truth about who she was, what she was doing, and then he offered her life. He offered her the truth. He offered her hope, and it changed her life forever. So let me just tell you now, when I read this, it makes me so sad that Felix had one of the greatest preachers of all time telling him the truth. He had an emotional experience where he was trembling and shaking. He was under conviction of the Lord. He intellectually knew it, but the problem was is it never became true of who he was. He never by faith believed that they had to change him. But let me just tell you, it's not because it couldn't. 
Because Jesus changed how many of people? Jesus changed any murderers? Any murderers that Jesus changed? Oh, yes. And everywhere in between. And when I look at this, it just makes me so sad that he procrastinates and he delays. I'm going to hear you at another time. Brother, you don't know when your time is going to be up. I don't know who I'm talking to in here. You don't know when your time is going to be up. Do not play the odds. When you know, when you hear the truth, when you hear the gospel, hear me now. The Bible says today is the day. That is the day of salvation for you. It has come near. That, you might not get another chance to hear it. Let me just read this and I know I got to be done. 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I believe this. If I didn't believe this, I promise you I would not be a preacher. I wouldn't even follow Jesus because this, this is my testimony. He says, it's therefore, if anyone, if who? Anyone. This is important right here now. Is in Christ. That's the key. He is a what? New creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is with Felix. Felix had an opportunity here. But he was too busy trying to get bribes. Y'all see that? He heard that Paul had brought a whole lot of money. Down. He was like, oh, I wonder if I get some of that money. He, he heard that. He thought he had time. He, he let fear of man. The text tells us he wanted to do the Jews a favor. These are the things that I find hinder people from coming to Jesus. A, they think they got time. You're young in a room. You think you got the world by the tail. You think you're going to continue to live forever. Oh, when I get 40, I'll get that. Let me tell you, do not kid yourself. The, the delay of time. Sometimes it's the delay of treasure. He was looking for money. He was trying to get money. It's you, 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 you out there getting it. You're grinding. You're trying to make it happen. Listen to me. You make all that money. When you die, guess what you're going to do with it? Leave every cent here. I have no issue with people making money. I have no issue with people working hard. But what I'm telling you is, is don't make excuses. Issue of control. We want to be in control of our life. Did you make you? No. Do you know when you're going to be done here? No. So what they let me know is you're not in control. You're not in control. <laughs> Lastly, I think this is probably the biggest fear of man. He feared. He wanted to do the Jews a favor. Can I just tell you? When we think about God's work. A lie has speed. But the truth has endurance. And God's word and God, that he has been changing lives for generation after generation. The question is, what about you? Has he changed you, changed your life? I don't know everybody's situation here, but can I just say, if you don't know Jesus, you're never giving your life to him. Today is the day you have heard the gospel. He, he wants to settle with you outside of court. Everybody going to experience judgment. Now, the question is, is, do you stand before him and are judged or do you stand before him already acquitted when you get there? Because of the work that he's already done. For us in the room, can I just for a minute, church, the Lord has given us a great message. I believe he's given us the greatest message. But sometimes I find myself sharing other messages more than I share the greatest message. And might we just make a, make a, make a decision today and we're going to tell, just like Paul, we're not going to be ashamed. We're going to look for opportunities to turn it to the gospel. We're going to look for opportunities to share the truth, the hope of righteousness, self-control, 
and judgment, just telling the world around us. Not everybody going to believe it. We know that. But it shouldn't be because we didn't tell them. As we think about being a church on the move, be ready for attack, slander. But let our lives, our conduct, our conscience, and our connection to God and his word sustain us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. And, and God, just if there's anybody here, Lord, they've never given their life to you. I pray that right now they would call out you. They wouldn't delay. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no, no other way to fix that. Only God can fix that problem. And that's exactly what you did, Lord, in your sacrifice. And so, Lord, I'm praying they will call out to you and say, Lord Jesus, save me, change me, and forgive me. Take my life and use it for your glory. Lord, I'm praying that you will help us as a, a church body to be about your business, Lord. We got good news in these crazy times. Lord, lies flying everywhere, misinformation flying everywhere, all the, But, Lord, let us be the pillar and the support of the truth in this generation. Lord, help us not to allow lies to decay our relationship with you and with each other, to destroy it or discourage it, God. But, Lord, we pray you would get the glory. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media, at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time, right here at Word Baptist Church.